I got so many scriptures, I don't know which one to tell you to turn to, but I, I guess Second uh, Timothy 3.16 would be a good one. You know, I, I preached two messages on humility. We got a, not a series, but just some directions we're going in. Two messages on humility. Then I preached last week a message on submission, that submission leads to spiritual power. Today I'm going to preach another message on submission to the authority of the Word of God. And then uh, the third area was resistance, about spiritual warfare. Came out of those verses, humility, submission, and resistance, found in the book of James and in the book of Peter. So today, another message on submission, and then uh, at least one on spiritual warfare uh, this coming, uh, which would be the next Sunday, or maybe two, you know. When you come to this matter of uh, submission, we find out that the authority for what we believe and practice, what is the authority for what we believe? We say, this is what I believe. These are my convictions as a follower of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, what is the authority for what you believe as a follower of Jesus? What is your authority for what you believe as a child of God? You say, well, uh, the church is my authority. Well, I'm all for the church. It's the body of Christ. But that's not your authority. You say, well, a man or a group of men. I mean, they came together and came up with some stuff. And that's my authority. No, no. We all know this. We do know this. Anybody that knows anything about genuine Christianity, true Christianity, they know that the, the authority, by the way, the final authority for what we believe and practice is the Word of God. I mean, it's the Bible, without question. That's what we base our beliefs on. It tells us how to be saved, tells us how to live a holy life. Everything we need to live and to die is right here in this book. So it is our final authority for what we believe and practice. Jesus said that. He called it truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32 and 33, he said, if you abide in my word, that means you live in it. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. If you, he said, if you let my words be the authority in your life, you, you, you're going to know the truth. And it's going to set you free. Second Timothy 3.16 that I mentioned talks about the authority of the Word of God. Look, look down in Second Timothy uh, 3, and it, tells, it warns us about there are going to be false teachings, and we better check it out by the Word of God. In, in, in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, and equipped for every good work. So listen. Now, there's one thing for sure. This book has stood the test of time. It stood the test of the ages. Men have denied it. People have criticized it. But I'm telling you, it is still the best-selling book in the world. But that has nothing to do with it. It is. It, it, it has this to do with it in the fact that we know that this is not just another book. It is the Word of the living God. All Scripture, and I love Ephesians, I mean Hebrews 4.14. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. So today we're going to talk about submission to the Bible as our authority and as the Word of God. Now we're going to do it in an unusual way, but it's the way God wants us to do it. Uh, years ago I came across uh, a prophetic word by William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. We have a Salvation Army uh, post here in Mobile. They're all over the world. I remember years ago when we went to India, one of our interpreters and guides had on his uniform. He was with the Salvation Army. They're still uh, all over the world. And uh, William Booth uh, lived until 1912. I think he was born in 1862 or 1867. 1829, William Booth was born to 1912. He was converted at the age of 15, got under great burden for the people in his neighborhood, and, and ultimately founded the Salvation Army. And they, had, they actually saw themselves as an army. They still wear uniforms. They still are, are around the world. It's, you know, and, and in many places are unbelievably effective even today. During William Booth's lifetime, it was through the ministry of the Salvation Army, that over two million people were saved during his lifetime. And William Booth gave six prophetic words about what the, this, this century we're living in was going to be like. And every one of them is true, minutely true. He gave six prophetic words. Somebody just ask him a question. I'm going to tell you what they are in a minute. But they just asked him a question, and he answered it. And I'm telling you, when I first read them years ago, I said, this man, it's like he's living right now. And, and, and we just had a conversation because he knows exactly the spiritual condition of people's lives and, and of, this, uh, of this nation. And so what we want to do is look at these prophetic words that Booth gave and examine our lives we know it's true in general, but examine our lives in light of our authority, the Word of God, to see if it's true or not true about our lives. You know, we sometimes wonder if one man can make a difference. This blew me away when I read this. When William Booth died in 1912, 40,000 people attended his funeral. And Queen Mary of England was present at his funeral. They estimated that 150,000 people 
1912, filed by the coffin of William Booth. And even today, here I am in 2012, talking about a man whose life impacted the world and continues to do so. And it was just a 15-year-old boy that got saved and got burdened for his neighborhood. And the rest is history. I want you to listen to what he said about this generation. Somebody asked him a question. And in response to the question, this is what, this is what Booth said. He said, in answer to your inquiry, I consider that the chief dangers that confront the coming century, that's us. So this had to be before 1912 because he went to be with the Lord then. He said, I, he said, I consider that the chief dangers that will confront the coming century will be, and here are the six, one, religion without the Holy Ghost, two, Christianity without Christ, three, forgiveness without repentance, four, salvation without regeneration. Five, politics without God. And six, heaven without hell. Now, you know what? I said, man, religion without the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's exactly where the, the generation we're living in right now. It's all about man's methods, man's powers, man's ability. Very little mention of the Holy Spirit. You read books on how to grow a church. Uh, they, they hardly ever mention the Holy Spirit. So we're living in a generation of religion without the Holy Spirit. And you said, but wait a minute, Brother Fred, we're certainly not living in a, a generation where there's Christianity without Christ. Oh, yeah, you don't understand. They talk about Christ, but it's not the Christ of the New Testament. It's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus that you and I find in the book of the New Testament. Oh, they talk about Christ, but it's another Christ. So we got Christianity without Christ. And then, of course, he said it would be uh, forgiveness without repentance. I, I mean, you know, today people talk a lot about forgiveness, but what about turning away from sin and hating sin? And so there is for, we're living with that today. And then salvation without gener regeneration. In other words, head knowledge, but not a heart knowledge and not a changed life. We're living with that. It's around us everywhere. And so everything Booth said is, is exactly the condition of, of what we're living in today. And isn't it interesting that he said that it would be politics without God? Back in, before 1912. And then he said there'd be heaven without hell. Well, we, we're going to just look briefly at each one of those and see what the Bible says about them. But, but, but before I do, I want to do, do something um, I got this book that somebody gave me called The Amazing, William Booth's Amazing Visions. He had five dreams. I read the first one, and I, nothing I've read in recent years moved me like that did. Nothing. Cannot tell you the impact it had on me. But I went through the second one, which was short, but then I came to the third dream that William Booth had. But you know what he did? Right at the beginning, before he ever got into that third dream, 
He, he prayed a prayer. And I am telling you, of all the prayers I've ever read that anybody ever prayed other than Jesus, this is a powerful prayer. My, I read it, and then I read it again, and I said, my Lord. And I want, you, I want, I want this to be your prayer today. I, I want this to be my prayer today. You couldn't pray anything any better. In, in preference to it, he, he, this is what he said. He said, there, uh, there are different kinds of fire. There is false fire. No one knows this better than we do. But we're not such fools as to refuse a good banknote because they're false banknotes. He said, we're not going to refuse real fire just because there's false fire. And although we see here and there manifestations of what appear to be nothing more than earthly fire... We nonetheless prize and value and seek the genuine fire. So what we really want is the genuine fire that comes from the altar of God. Well, man, and then he prays this. And so let's consider this a prayer. I want you to listen. I, I, I want you to listen to his prayer. This is a prayer I need. I'm praying for myself. And this is a prayer I'm praying for you. The fire. To make our weak hearts strong and brave, send the fire. To live a dying world to save, send the fire. Send the fire, O us, to see. On thy altar lay our lives, our all this very day. He says we're laying our lives on the altar. To crown the offering of ourselves, now we pray, Lord, send the fire. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Would you ask the Lord to send the fire in your life? Oh, God, send the fire, the fire of your presence, the fire of your power. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Oh, would you ask God to send the fire into your life personally? To send the fire into your marriage? To send the fire into your children. To send the fire in Luke 4.18. Just like the fire came on Mount Carmel and consumed the sacrifice. And they all said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Would you ask God to send the fire in every town and hamlet and city of America? To send the fire on every church, every Bible-believing church, every Christ-exalting person in America. Would you ask God, oh God, send the fire. Lord, we need the fire. Lord, send the fire. The purifying fire. The cleansing fire. The consuming fire. The, the fire that when it burns releases power and energy. Oh God. Oh God. Send the fire. Lord, we are humanly helpless. But you are almighty powerful. And oh God. Oh God. We need the fire. The fire of God to fall on each of us, our churches, our cities, our nation. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Would you send the fire? It will transform us, Lord. It will change us, Lord. The fire of the Holy Spirit, that moral burning flame, 
Oh, God, send the fire. And all God's people said. You know, it was interesting that Booth said that um, his major burden was this. That in the coming century of now which we live, there would be religion without the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. And he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He will glorify me, for he will show you things to, listen, Jesus said, it's to my advantage that I leave so that at Pentecost the Holy Spirit of God can come. The fire of God can come upon you. And Jesus knew. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And he said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we see in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit of God came and filled every believer and the church lived in the book of Acts. They lived in the early century in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that, that Christianity, normal Christianity, is when the Holy Spirit of God fills an individual life. And when the Holy Spirit of God fills the body of Christ. And when the church lives and moves in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And, but today we, we got a lot of religion. And we got beautiful buildings and great programs and great plans and great schemes. But I don't see any power. People are, it's getting darker every day. The world's getting more wicked every day. Now, in, in parts of the world, the power of God is being released through the body of Christ. And wonderful things are happening all over the world. But in America, I am telling you, if there's ever been a day when we've had religion without the Holy Spirit of God, it's right now in which we live. Now, I want to ask you this. That you could say, I agree, brother, but what about you and the Holy Spirit? I mean, is he filling your life every day? Is the Holy Spirit controlling your life every day? Is the Holy Spirit leading you every day? Does, is the Holy Spirit bearing love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness in your life every day? Are, are you living your life without the significant power of the Holy Spirit? I, I mean, hey, is he filling you? Are you walking in His power? Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made us free from the law of sin and death. Hey, listen. I, I know in America we've got religion without the Holy Spirit. But I want to I make it personal. How significant and important. What part does the Holy Spirit of God play in my daily life, every day that I live. And is Ephesians 5.18 a reality to you and to me? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, the second thing Booth said, that the danger was religion without the Holy Spirit, but Christianity without Christ. You know, Paul warned us that the day would come when people would preach another Jesus. Oh, he did. He saw it coming. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, Now, I want to warn you. They're going to come and they're going to preach another Jesus. And they're going to preach another gospel. And I'm telling you, don't, don't, don't you be deceived by it. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. He said, remember, this old thing about Jesus is not complicated, and it's not complicated because God wanted everybody to be saved. Amen? He didn't complicate it. It ain't complicated, y'all. Well, I should say it isn't. It isn't complicated, okay? And said, don't let your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, for if he comes, if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, and a different gospel which you have not received, not accepted, I'm afraid you're going to put up with it. Now listen, there are a lot of people that talk about Jesus. But what I want to know, are they talking about the Jesus of the New Testament? Or is it another Jesus? Well, let me just make this absolutely clear about the Jesus of the New Testament. He is a living, powerful, exalted son of the living God. He's alive. He's powerful. He's exalted. He's seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's exactly what it says about Jesus. He's alive. He's powerful. He's exalted. He's in a place of authority. I'll tell you what else it says about Jesus. That he's powerful as far as saving your life, saving your soul is concerned. Galatians 2.20 said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. Some people want a cosmetic Christ. You know, a cosmetic Christ. We'll just celebrate Jesus at Easter. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's nice. That's a good celebration. We'll, we'll have a party and we'll get together. They want a cosmetic Christ or, or a cosmetic Christ at, at Christmas or, or, or just a cosmetic Christ that they can talk about at weddings and funerals. Let me tell you something. He's not a cosmetic Christ. He is the all-powerful Son of the living God. He's alive right now and he's whatever, ever, what He's ever done, He's still doing today. He has not changed. He has not changed. And some places you wouldn't think Jesus had any power. I'm telling you, Booth said they're going to have Christianity without Christ. They're going to preach another Jesus. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Say it with me. Today and forever. Once again, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday Today and forever. He has not changed. Listen, the same Jesus that raised the dead. The same Jesus that healed the sick. The same Jesus that cast out demons. The same Jesus. Everything he did, glory to God, he's still doing today. And I'm telling you, that's the Christ of the New Testament. And any other Christ is another Jesus. And he should not be. It's it's purely foolishness. People want to talk about, write books saying what God can't do today. Hallelujah, I've got a book that tells me what God can do today. And I'm telling you, the only Jesus I'm going to look at, and the only Jesus I'm going to believe in, the only Jesus I'm going to pray for, pray to, and the only Jesus I'm going to preach is the one in the pages of the New Testament. And if it doesn't line up with that, then I'm not going to preach it. I'll tell you another thing about this Jesus. He's the, the exclusive Christ. Now, you want, you want to get religious people mad. 
Woo! You can get them mad real quick. You're telling me that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way for a person to be saved. That is exactly what the Bible teaches. Listen, if the Bible said there were other ways of salvation, I wouldn't argue with the Word of God. And I certainly would not. But when the Bible says, and, 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 and Acts, I've got chapter 13. Oh, it's Acts. It's, Acts. it's the book of Acts. It's where it is. I'm going to tell you exactly where it is. Uh, it's in Acts. He, where he says, uh, that by, talking about the exclusive Christ. Well, Acts 13, 5 or whatever. It says, neither. There's 3, 5. Acts says, neither, now listen to this, neither is there salvation in any other. Is there anything hard about that to understand? Any part that you don't understand? Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, does that sound exclusive to you? Someone says, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Well, now listen to what Jesus said. Now, either he is who he says he is, 100% God, perfect deity, 100% man, uh, 100% man, the Son of Man, perfect humanity, Jesus Christ, perfect deity, God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, Son of Man, perfect humanity, the God-man. Listen to what he said about himself. Just listen to what he said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What part of that's hard to understand? They say, I I don't care what that says. You need to understand that's not my authority. That's your problem. This is the authority. I want you to know every word you say is going to pass away. But the word of God will never pass away. And so, uh, you know, there's Christianity without Christ. Universalism. It says, listen, just be sincere. All roads lead to heaven. Just be sincere on the road you travel. Just one problem, it's a lie. That's another Jesus. Let, let me say this one final thing about Jesus. So Jesus of the New Testament, he's living, he's powerful, he's unchanging, he's doing what he's ever done before, he's exclusive, he's risen, and hallelujah, this is the good thing about it all. He's coming back one day. Glory to God. I'm telling you, he, the king is coming again. He's coming again. And the Bible says that. I love Acts chapter 1, verse 11. You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. The one of these days, this world's going to have a big surprise. <laughs> the rapture's going to occur, and they're going to say, where did everybody go? And I hope there's going to be a bunch that go. He's the coming king. All right, Booth said that'd be religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you this. I don't want to leave this till I ask you. How personal is Jesus to you? Who is the Christ that you know? Who is the Christ that you follow? Who is the Christ that you believe in? Who is the Christ that you're trusting for your salvation and for eternal life? Oh, my friend. Don't you believe in another Jesus? And then he goes on and says, there'll be forgiveness without repentance. You know, 
We talked about this strongly the other a few weeks ago. Forgiveness is a part of repentance. But forgiveness comes as a result of repentance. You repent and you're forgiven. Well, you say, well, Brother Fred, what's the difference between repentance and forgiveness? Repentance is this. I, I agree with you, God, that that is a sin. I agree with you. It is a sin against you, holy God. I agree it's a sin. And I confess it, that it is a sin. And by your grace and your power, I turn away from that sin. You know, I, I, I still remember. It was so vivid. When Billy Graham was trying to talk about how repentance was, I, I mean, I, I, just, I, must, I don't even know what age it was. He said, here's a man going down the road, and, and, and he's walking in a direction, and he meets Jesus Christ, and he realizes his sin, his wickedness, his ungodliness, and, and his need for a Savior, and he confesses his sin, repents of his sin, and asks Jesus Christ to come into his life. And so repentance means to turn around. It means to turn around. It means to change your mind. It means to go in another direction. You have never repented unless you've changed your mind about sin. You've never repented unless you've turned around and gone in another direction. In fact, I've said it and I'll say it again. The only sin you've ever repented of is the one you no longer practice. Anybody would be a fool not to confess their sin. Oh, I agree with you, Lord. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I won't do it before in the morning. Hey, listen. Repentance is not only confessing your sin, but it's by the grace of God turning away from that sin. It's forsaking that sin. Proverbs, Solomon got it right under the Spirit of God when he said, Whoever covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Let me tell you something. People take sin lightly. They laugh about it. They talk about it. Religious people do. Let me tell you something about sin. Would you listen to me? Repentance means that you confess it and turn from it. You've got to understand how serious sin is. It was sin, your sin, that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. My sin nailed him there. If it had not been for our sin, he would never have to die. So why in the world would I just say confess it and then say, well, but I'm just going to keep right on doing it. No, you, that's not repentance. That's not repentance. You're, dece you're deceived. I'm telling you. Does that mean that you're not tempted? No, you are tempted. Does that mean you're perfect? No, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Does it mean that you never mess up? No, but I'll tell you one thing. When you've repented of a sin, you no longer practice it. Oh, Booth said there's going to be repentance. There's going to be forgiveness without repentance. Number four, he said there'd be salvation. By the way, I want to ask you something. Have you repented? Have you repented? Have you not only agreed with God that it was a sin, but you've turned away from it? You've turned away from it? Have you done that? Have you really repented? I mean, if you're just still going on the same way, you haven't. And let that be a warning from God that you need to turn away from it by His grace and by His power. And then he said there would be salvation without regeneration. And what he was simply saying is this. 
people would have a head knowledge of Jesus Christ, but it wouldn't change their life. Re means again, generate, regeneration means regenerate, life. It means regenerate something. You, you give life. And so what he's saying here is that uh, uh, there would be salvation without regeneration. Basically, a head knowledge, but not a changed life. Not a changed life. Now, here's the deal. I'll give you one verse. No, I think I'll give you two verses. First, Second Corinthians 5.17. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. And all things are become new. So when a man or woman has an encounter with Jesus Christ, they repent of their sins, and Christ comes to live inside of them, they are a new creation. And guess what? Old things have passed away, and praise God, all things are become new. That's called salvation regeneration. You're changed. You're a new creature. There's no change. There's no salvation. It's so clear. Anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. You know what Ephesians 2.1 says? It talks about the fact, and you has he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. You once walked according to the course of this world. You once walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil, and according to your own flesh. But God, who is rich in mercy, according to his great mercy, has saved you, forgiven you, given you life, and now you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Man, it just talks about a changed life. And salvation without regeneration is there's no change. There's no such thing. But Booth said, oh, that's going to be the problem. People are going to profess salvation without any regeneration. There's been no change in their life. None. Hey, the transforming power of Christ. Man, you go from death to life. You go from darkness to light. Man, I'm telling you, when you're saved, you're different. You're changed. You are a new creation in Him. Just two more. Boy, he got this one, didn't he? He said there was going to be religion without the Holy Spirit, forgiveness without repentance, uh, and and he, he talked about the fact that there'd be salvation without regeneration, and he talked about the fact that there would be Christianity without Christ. But then he said, you're going to have politics without religion. Woo! That was 19 for 1900. He, I believe he read the paper, don't you? Yesterday's paper. Or he listened to the latest newscaster. You know what they say to us as Christians? Uh, keep your Christianity uh, to yourself. And don't let your Christianity affect your politics. (laughs) Is that stupid? That's just stupid, isn't it? I mean, that's just stupid. Wait a minute. The Bible tells us in Romans 13, by the way, and you need to read it. It says that government was ordained by God. Oh, yeah. I I mean, Romans, I, I read Romans 13 
uh, 1 through 7. And I, I said, Lord, there's some things we shouldn't put there. I mean, I mean, he talks about government. And, and he says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, the government, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, righteous rulers, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. If it's godly rulers, says, do not be afraid of the authority. Do what is good and you will have praise. He's God's minister to you for good. So he says, government, if it's right, it's good. It protects people and protects their rights. He says, uh, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for your conscience sake. For because of this, you must also pay taxes. I wish he hadn't put that in there. <laughs> he says that. Got to pay your taxes. For there are God's ministers attending continue to this very thing. Render therefore to all who are due. But let me just tell you one thing right now. This is where government ceases to have any authority over you. Government is of God. But government without God is chaos, confusion, tyrannical, dictatorship, all this government without God. But I tell you what, though. The, the early apostles were killed. And millions have been martyred because the government told them they could not obey God. They could not do what God told them to do. And I'll tell you what, what God tells you to do always takes precedence over what the government tells you to do. Did you hear what I said? And so listen, if the government tells me that I, I should uh, support abortion with tax money, or if the government tells me I should approve of same-sex marriage, if the government says I should approve uh, of, 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 uh, of a person doesn't have to work and they still can eat, you know. By, by the way, you know, I'm, I, somebody hadn't read the New Testament. The, the Bible says if a man's able to work, uh, he's able to work. Now, some people are handicapped and some people can't work. And I, I mean, I'm not, y'all don't go take this further than I'm taking. But the Bible says if a man's not able to work, he's not, a, he's not supposed to eat. Praise God, if some people didn't have something to eat, I think they'd go to work, don't you? I talked to a man last night. If I called his name, you'd know him. He, he shocked me in what he told me. I said, man, this is critical, what we're facing in this election. I said, man, have you got any feeling of what, of what, about it? And I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, there's so many people that are looking to the government right now for a handout. And there are people who are in dire circumstances who need help. And the church should help them. And if it's in dire circumstances, they're not able to work. Their hand, then I'm not against uh, helping people. Now, God knows but he said, there's so many people that are looking to the government for help that there may be, may be so many of them that this election is, is going to go the other way. Because you know, if the government's putting money in your pocket, it's going to be hard to vote against them. So we just need to understand that if the election goes where the incumbent is elected, we have just realized that we're a welfare state. We have crossed the line, and we are a welfare state. That's exactly what we'll be. Government is ordained of God. 
We're to pray for those in authority. We respect them. But I am telling you right now, ungodly government, the Bible says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people what? And that ain't got nothing to do with one party or the other. I am just telling you, government must be governed by God. It must be a theocracy. And in order for it, and, and this is what Booth said, politics without religion is chaos. Then, then the last thing he said is that, that there would be heaven without hell. You know, I, I want to be as accurate as I can. I, I think they said maybe the last poll, maybe 25% of the people believe there's a hell. It may be a lot, lot less than that. But they mean there's 75% that doesn't believe there's a hell. 25% believe there's, no, uh, uh, there's a hell. But now then you take a poll and 80% of the people believe there's a heaven. 80% say there's a heaven. 25% says uh, there's a hell. But then there's 75% say, well, there's no, there, there's no hell. So what he said we're going to have is we're going to have heaven without hell. That's exactly right. How long has it been since you heard a television preacher talk, preach against hell? Talk about hell. They tell you how to feel good. They tell you how you can be somebody that, you know, you know, how you are. They try to give you a good self-image, and I want you to have a good self-image, but it only comes in Jesus. That's where your self-image comes from. I, I, nobody talks about hell. You know what? Because people don't believe in hell. In fact, if you say that a person who dies without Christ is going to hell, that, that absolutely incenses them. It in, well, so what you're telling me that Hitler's going to be in heaven. Are you going to tell me the man that every day had opportunity to receive Christ and over and over and over and over again right here in America rejected Jesus Christ? So you say he's going to go to, well, no, no, he's just going to go to the grave and go back to the dust. Well, that ain't much to look forward to, is it? So really, we are in a day where a lot of people talk about heaven. Nobody ever talks about hell. But I will say this in closing. Jesus said more about hell than he did about heaven. Amen. No, he did. I mean, I'm not happy about that. I wish there were no hell. I'm glad God's going to balance the books. I want you to know. I thank God he's going to balance the books, folks. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not left up to me to balance the book. Some, someday, the wrongs are going to be righted, and the books are going to be balanced, and a holy God is going to do that, and there is a place called heaven, and there is a place called hell. People who have Jesus Christ and are forgiven go to heaven. People who reject Christ and die in their sins go to hell. You said, that is too hard. I did not write that. Jesus said, fear not those that can destroy Fear not him that can destroy the body. Fear him that can destroy your body and soul in hell. Jesus said that. Don't be worried about those who can kill your body. But fear that person who can destroy your body and soul in hell. And he looked at the Pharisees and scribes in their religion and said, You generation of vipers, how will you escape the damnation of hell? That was Jesus that said that. Jesus. So we... we, we let me ask you this. If there's no hell, why would Jesus die on the cross? What did he die for? You know, William Booth, just one man. But boy, did God ever show him the day in which we live. And you have to examine your life in light of the Word of God.
Religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without religion. And heaven without hell. All I can say is, you can listen to who you want to. But this is God's final word. This is the authoritative word of God. You believe it. And you believe it by the, as the Holy Spirit teaches you. And you live on it by it and obey it. And you're safe. But I'm going to tell you. You get outside the word of God. You're in serious trouble. And if you don't believe this is the word of God. You're in serious trouble.